this like lady, I'm pretty sure they were teaching the lady and her husband was like a bum and he was drunk all the time. And so he was passed out and like super, super wasted on the way there. He had this feeling that they shouldn't go teach them. But as I like to tell this story, I always say, but they were elders. So they went anyway. So they went and they started teaching this lady and she's kind of like standoffish the whole time. And they were getting weird vibes, and he just kept feeling they ne- like they needed to leave. Like the spirit was like, "Hey, get out of here," you know. But they didn't. And yeah. so they were teaching her, and um, all of a sudden, they were teaching her about like some pretty deep like plan of salvation stuff, you know. And the guy was totally passed out, and all of a sudden, he just stood up and in full-on English, like legit, like pure English, just said, "You guys are missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints." Um, like representatives of Jesus Christ and you need to leave. They went and like tried opening the door and it was like totally locked and they couldn't get out. And then he just kept saying like blasphemy in English. And then the door flew open and they left. Towards the end of my time with my second companion, I remembered that he never told me the whole story concerning what had gone down in our apartment the previous year. I inquired about it almost three months ago, but he didn't feel like sharing. I knew that next week's transfers would probably result in one of us being sent to a different area, so if I wanted to hear what I'd been waiting a while for, I'd have to ask soon. One afternoon, not long before transfers, we were riding on the metro rail through downtown. I recalled that he wasn't keen on discussing the topic at night, so I thought I'd take advantage of this opportunity during the day to bring it up. I said, Hey, you never told me about that thing that happened in the apartment. What was that about? Real nonchalant, I know, but I didn't want to beat around the bush. He just sighed. And then he told me. What is up, you brave souls, and welcome back to the Adversary Podcast. Today's episode is a continuation of last week's, but with no more pulled punches. Now that we've kind of broken the ice on the subject a little bit, there's no reason not to be frank about it. Up until this point, the only calls we've seen missionaries receive are from those that needed their houses blessed. While still somewhat uncommon, this occurs far more frequently than what takes place in this next account. My friend was serving in the Chile-Santiago West Mission. He and his companion got a call from a member of their ward who asked them to come over and give her daughter, who was like 35, a blessing because she was, quote, having problems. More specifically, she was experiencing frequent panic attacks and would sometimes see things, such as figures, that weren't there. When the elders got to the house, the mother and daughter were both clearly emotional. Adhering to the blessing of healing procedure outlined in the handbook, my friend poured a drop of consecrated oil on the daughter's head placed both hands over it, and began to speak aloud the blessing. Towards the end, he felt the woman shake. She appeared to be having another panic attack. He finished his part of the blessing, but it was only half over. He had done the anointing, but his companion needed to seal it in order for it to have effect. His comp put his hands on the woman's head, but now she was freaking out. The elder somehow maintained his composure and carried out the rest of the blessing. Right before he spoke the final few words, the woman sank down into her chair. After a moment of quiet, The woman came to and said she felt better. Right on the border between Mexico and New Mexico, two elders needed a bit of assistance. A man they were teaching was acting abnormally, likely due to all the drugs he used, but something was different now than when they had met him. They suspected other forces were at play that they couldn't see. They had offered to give this man a blessing, in part to help him have the strength to overcome his addictions, but also to get rid of whatever he seemed to be afflicted by. 
He had agreed, but the elders didn't want to take on this task alone, so they called their bishop and invited him to come along to the next appointment. When the three men arrived at the house, the person they'd been teaching was clearly not okay. The elders told the man that they were here to do the blessing and had him sit down in a chair. The elders then privately consulted with the bishop and asked him to perform the ordinance. But after observing the man's behavior firsthand, the bishop backed off and said, no, I'll let you guys handle it. You need the practice. The elders were not prepared to go at this by themselves, but they had no choice now. They were here, and the man was waiting. So one of the elders got brave and volunteered to do the whole thing himself. He put his hands on the man's head and commenced with the blessing. Midway through, the man was no longer sitting still. He was thrashing, his limbs flailing around in sharp, spontaneous motions. The elder tried to wrap up the blessing as quickly as possible. Then the man began to scream. The sight and sound of the whole event was awful. At last, the elder closed the blessing, and the man went quiet. Whatever had caused the scene that they had all just witnessed was gone. But the elder was not okay. He was mentally scarred by the experience, and it still affects him today. These two accounts demonstrate the practice of exorcism, or the casting out of an evil spirit or spirits from a person's body. This is the counter to possession, which can happen a number of different ways. Generally, and this is what I've heard, if you don't want to be possessed, you're in no real danger and don't have to worry about it. But as I've investigated more and more, that may not always be the case. Let's go back to Joseph Smith, the guy who was trying to get the church out of financial trouble a few episodes ago. That all took place in 1837. In May of 1830, shortly after the church was formally organized, Joseph was faced with another attack from the adversary. The first one had been ten years ago, when he was almost overwhelmed by a darkness in the forest. But this time, it wasn't him that was the target. The next paragraph is from the book Church History in the Fullness of Times. Before I read that, here's some context first. The restored church had only been established for about a month, membership was still small, and they'd meet together on Sundays. Now here's the passage. One of the people who regularly attended the meetings was Newell Knight, a close friend of the prophet, Joseph Smith. Newell Knight was afraid to pray, but he finally accepted the persuasive challenge of the prophet to do so in the next meeting. When the moment arrived, Newell declined, promising that he would pray later in private. The next morning, he went into the woods where he tried to pray, but he failed because he felt guilty for refusing to pray publicly. The prophet said that Newell began to feel uneasy and continued to feel worse in both mind and body until, upon reaching his own house, his appearance was such as to alarm his wife very much. He requested her to go and bring me, Joseph, to him. I went and found him suffering very much in his mind, and his body acted upon in a very strange manner, his visage and limbs distorted and twisted in every shape and appearance possible to imagine, and he was finally caught up off the floor of the apartment, and tossed about most fearfully. Neighbors and relatives gathered to see what was happening. Joseph finally caught hold of Newell's hand. Newell said he knew he was possessed of the devil and also knew that Joseph had the power to cast him out. Acting on Newell's faith as well as his own, Joseph commanded the devil to depart in the name of Jesus Christ. Immediately, Newell spoke out and said that he saw the devil leave him and vanish from his sight. When it comes to exorcisms performed by Latter-day Saints, records of the act are extremely scanty. The church has published only a handful, including the one I just related, and the rest are a mix of personal experiences, journal entries, and stories passed down from members and missionaries, all of which, if true, can be counted as unofficial church history. All these pieces put together, though, forms a contradictory picture. How did Newell Knight become possessed, exactly? The answer is, we don't know. 
He didn't seem to be doing anything to invite the evil spirit, and he certainly didn't desire what came next. All we know is that a situation like this is extremely rare, and members of the church believe that there is a power provided to deal with it if necessary, but it does still happen. Two sisters in New Hampshire went to visit a lady they'd met recently who invited them to her home. After some small talk, the missionaries got down to business and presented the message they'd prepared for her. Despite English being her first language, the lady didn't seem to be comprehending anything the sisters were talking about, and she'd just give kind of a blank look and a shrug when asked a question. Towards the end of the appointment, she interrupted, I don't know what you're saying. I don't get what you're saying. And then, you're sucking me in. It feels like you're sucking me in. The sisters replied with, what? They were understandably dumbfounded. The lesson was almost over though, and they only had a few more things to go over. But before they could finish, the woman leaned forward to one of the sisters and started whispering in her ear, which the sister couldn't interpret. She pulled away, and the missionaries left immediately. Seeing as their visit had been poorly received, the sisters just wanted to forget the whole thing had ever happened. But it was far from over. The missionaries returned to their apartment, and noticed, like so many before and after them, a weird feeling. It intensified as the night grew later, and eventually both of the sisters were in trouble. As they lay on their beds, one of them couldn't move, effectively paralyzed, while the other couldn't stop moving, shaking and twitching all throughout the night. In the morning, finding themselves in enough control to get off their beds, they called the local elders, who promptly responded. Back on the metro rail, my companion was telling me something, the thing I'd been biding my time to ask about for a long while now, the story. The details about the incident that had taken place in the very apartment we were headed back to. I had asked, and he now agreed to share. This is what he said. Nine months ago, he had been part of a trio, three missionaries and a companionship instead of just the regular two. That explained the third bed in the apartment. One night, after they were done for the day, they came home and ordinarily would have been kind of settling down for the evening. But during the day, there had been some sort of argument or contention involving one of the elders in the trio. Of course, they had all been involved, but it felt very two against one, with my companion being in the two camp. There was still some anger and unresolved conflict brewing as they all stepped through the door into their apartment that night. Shortly thereafter, the conflict was rekindled somehow. The one elder who had been in the minority of whatever dispute had occurred earlier was irked again. But then he was saying really strange things. Stuff he'd never say. Like speaking badly about the church. The other two elders were startled. This wasn't like him at all. And then suddenly, the elder clutched at his chest and exclaimed, It feels like there's something inside of me. One of the elders leapt into action, raising his arm to the square and commanding whatever was in the elder to come out. Upon the conclusion of the command, the elder who had been struggling was visibly relieved. But then he said, I feel better, but it's not gone. He pointed his finger toward the bathroom, the same one I'd taken six months of showers in already. It flew in there. My comp approached the bathroom and felt a dark force, more powerful than he'd ever felt before. He raised his arm again and cast it out of the apartment for good. A word of comfort here. You are in no way putting yourself at risk by listening to this podcast. There is nothing wrong with being more informed or hearing about other people's experiences regarding this topic. If there was, then the Newell Knight story wouldn't be readily accessible. Everything that has happened since is just an addition to history. And sometimes history can be scary. But that doesn't mean we should ignore it or label it as taboo. Sure, it definitely shouldn't be the focus or anywhere close to it. But we can acknowledge it and still not incur any negative consequences. Next week is the final episode of the season. Believe me, you won't want to miss it. See y'all next Monday, and we hope we didn't scare you away.